Before we pray, I wish you'd open your Bible up. In just a few moments, the word from God today will come from Dr. Luke. By the way, he was Wesley, a medical missionary, as you, your ambitions call you to be. Dr. Luke, his first book, we will go to in just a moment. He wrote two books in the New Testament. Turn to the second book, the book of Acts. A single line summation of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, if my obituary is written one day, oh mercy, wouldn't this be the line to sum up our lives, your life and mine? Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. One line, verse 38. And no doubt you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Both. You know. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then... Then, Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The title of our journey this morning, A Holy Ghost Anointing. Let us pray. Oh God, the words just sung on our behalf, in which we prayed. Spirit of God, please, descend upon our hearts. But then the confession we have already made to check the rising doubt, to check the rebel sigh, teach us the patience of unanswered prayer. And then, Almighty God, triune God, our hearts an altar, and your love the flame. Please, a Holy Ghost anointing, even as it was unto Jesus, our mentor. In his name we pray. Amen. Several years ago, I read the story of Dwight L. Moody. And his baptism of the Holy Spirit, moving, moving. And I don't mind telling you that ever since reading that moment in his biography, I have personally and I have privately longed to experience a Holy Ghost anointing just like that. As you can imagine, my mother having named me after him, I have a few books, a few biographies of his in my little library. And I can tell you that to a biography, all of them, carefully, almost reverently deal with that moment, a late November's moment on the streets of New York City. When that baptism came, 
One month, oh, about a month and a half after the great Chicago fire. The Chicago fire, October 8, 1871. In that fire, Dwight Moody lost everything he had built up, lost his tabernacle, lost his mission. 18,000 structures were burned to the ground in Chicago. 100,000 people were left homeless. It was a great and devastating fire. I don't know what did legend tell us. Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over a lantern. Was that it? A month and a half later, Dwight L. Moody is in the Big Apple. He's having to raise funds so that he can build out of the ashes once again. But I'm telling you what, his heart is not in his mission for fundraising. He is desperately crying out that God might grant to him the baptism of the Spirit. By the way, that was not the first time he prayed that prayer. Actually, the prayer had been birthed several months earlier. When one day at the end of his service, a, a couple of women came through line. And they came to this now becoming well-known preacher. And they said to him, Mr. Moody, we are praying for you. Well, there's just enough ego in that heart of a preacher to take it as a slight affront. Well, why, why are you praying for me? Because you, sir, need power. Those women kept coming through that line week after week after week. Finally, one day he said, listen, why don't you pray for the unsaved for a while? His pride is wounded. But one day after, after those testimonies and confessions, week after week, one day finally with, with nothing to lose but his pride, Dwight L. Moody said, women, come to my office. And went to a little study there in the tabernacle. And they prayed for his baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that began something Moody said to them. He said, look, look, you've you got to come back. Every Friday afternoon, I want you to come to this place and I want you to pray with me for the baptism that I might be baptized with the Holy Spirit. On October 6th, two days before the devastating Chicago fire, Friday afternoon, they are in his study praying. And one of the women, Sarah Cook, recalls in her diary... What took place on October 6th? And this is, a, this is one of the newest biographies of, of Dwight L. Moody, Lyle Dorsett, who teaches over here in Wheaton College, A Passion for Souls. It's a, it's a stirring book. Well, I want you to listen to what she, what she uh, entered into her diary that day. At every meeting, Carol Cook is writing, at every meeting, each of us prayed aloud in turn. But at this meeting that Friday, at this meeting, Mr. Moody's agony was so great that he rolled on the floor and in the midst of many tears and groans, he cried to God to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Where does he get this concept of being baptized with fire? I'll tell you where he got it. Let's put it up on the screen. Matthew 3.11. John the Baptist is speaking here. I baptize with water those who turn from their sins and turn to God. But, however, someone is coming soon who is far greater than I am, so much greater than I am, that I am not even worthy to be his slave. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Moody read that promise and he said, I have got to be baptized with fire. He's on the ground today, Friday afternoon. Sunday night at the end of his service, they had been interrupted by the clanging of fire wagons with the horses galloping on those Chicago streets. And he and a colleague of his stood in the portico. And sure enough, off in the dark distance is an orange smudge. Chicago is burning down. A month and a half later, Moody, raising funds, is in the Big Apple. 
Now I want, I want you to hear his words describing what took place that day he was baptized. As he was walking the streets of, of New York seeking for funds, he later admitted, My heart was not in the work of begging. I could not appeal. I was crying all the time that God would fill me with his spirit. And then it came upon me as I was walking in the streets of New York. He was actually walking down Wall Street. And we've heard a lot about Wall Street in the last few days, haven't we? Walking down the street called Wall. When something happens and Moody senses he has got to find a place to kneel down and pray. He remembers a friend of his that lives a few blocks away in New York. He hurries to that house, sends his card up. The friend says, come and have dinner. No, I don't want to eat. Give me a room. He goes into that room and then, ah... His words now, ah, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say God revealed Himself to me and I had such an experience of His love that I had to ask Him to stay His hand. Stop, no more. Don't do this anymore. I can't take another moment. Wow. He wouldn't talk about it. But he did explain once this profoundly sacred experience to a friend of his named D.W. Whittle, who in Whittle's diary, we find these words, God blessed him, Whittle speaking to Moody, God blessed Moody with the conscious incoming to his soul of a presence and power of his spirit such as he had never known before. His heart was broken by it. He spent much time in just weeping before God, so overpowering was a sense of his goodness and love. Moody, Whittle wrote, lost interest in everything except the preaching of Christ and the salvation of souls. Oh, for an anointing, a Holy Ghost anointing, huh? to be baptized. Forget Moody. You don't have to be baptized like Moody, but to be baptized by the Spirit of the living God. I want to ask you something. Have you been baptized by the Spirit? Hmm? Have you? Have you been anointed by the Holy Ghost? And by the way, let me, let, let me put the question in another way. Are you now? Okay, maybe before. Are you now? Are you anointed? Have you been baptized? Are you baptized now? A Holy Ghost anointing. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, I cannot think of another human experience that would be more critical and crucial to anybody who takes Jesus Christ seriously. Which is why, get this, which is why, when Jesus goes back to his hometown for the very first time as Messiah, when he goes back, the very first words out of Jesus' very first sermon in the Gospel of Luke are a confession. They are a testimony. Jesus got up in the pulpit that day and he said... I have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, Moody is hesitant about saying anything. The Messiah is not. What, what's the deal, Messiah? Why are you so open about it? I'll tell you why. The Messiah is a mentor. And when you are a mentor and you are leading disciples and followers, you dare not leave hidden the secret of your life mission. You must tell. And so Jesus, the very first words he publicly speaks in the Gospel of Luke is a testimony. I have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Open your Bible, please. To Dr. Luke's first book, 
Luke, the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 4. Ah, take a look. When the Messiah is your mentor, our new journey, this new season, what does it mean to be like Jesus? What does it mean to be mentored by the Messiah? Well, His very first words are a hot tip how to follow. The Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 4, I'm in the New Living Translation. You follow along in whatever translation you have. And those of you who are watching on television right now, just read it on the screen. We'll put the New Living on the screen for you. Let's begin in verse 16. When he, Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the Scriptures. The scroll containing the messages of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. And he unrolled the scroll. Ladies and gentlemen, Biblion in the Greek, from whence comes our word Bible, it was a scroll and he had to do that. It wasn't open to the Scripture for the day. He He had to mechanically twist the scroll to make sure that his very first words will be the words he speaks. From Isaiah 61, verse 1. And when he had found the place, let's go back to verse 17, he unrolled the scroll to the place where it says, now here comes verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon, I have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. A Holy Ghost anointing. My dear friends, get it again. This is, this is critical. Apparently, Luke is so convinced it is crucial that he makes sure that the first time Jesus opens his lips as Messiah in his gospel, he will give the testimony, I have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Wow. The point is inescapable. If the Messiah is your mentor, go and do likewise. That's it. If you follow the same Jesus, you must have the same. You must. Can't be his follower otherwise. Go and be baptized like Moody. Go and be baptized like the Messiah. Get baptized. You say, come on, Dwight. How, 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 how? Simple. Follow the mentor. Follow your mentor. I want you to watch this. Luke is so intent that the followers of the Messiah will be clear the crucial centrality that, centrality that the Holy Spirit held in the life of Jesus that Luke begins to weave from the very beginning the Holy Spirit into Jesus' story. For the next few moments, and I, a, a number of you are note-takers And so what we're going to do is I'm going to put a list up here and I'm going to share with you just the references in Luke. Jot them down. Go away some afternoon and get alone with the Spirit of Christ and your Bible and examine these again. I'll put them up on the screen. I want to share with you how Luke, in rapid fire sequence, shows the Holy Spirit integral to the life of Jesus. Let's go back to his birth. Luke chapter 1. The only birth account with this much detail. The Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Let's go back to verse 28. Luke chapter 1, verse 28. A young teenager is now going to see a vision of an angel. You know the Christmas story well. Let's read it again. Gabriel appeared to her, that's Virgin Mary, and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. 
Wouldn't that be a great, a great line for an angel to say to you? The Lord is with you. Confused, though, and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be frightened, Mary. The angel told her, For God has decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you are to name Him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give Him the throne of His ancestor David, and He will reign over Israel forever. That's the Messiah. You're going to give birth. Mama, you're going to give birth to the Messiah, the Son of David. Wow. He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can I have a baby? I am a virgin. There is something that can be said for faithfulness so that you can make the same testimony at her age. And the angel replied, you want to know how, hey lady, you want to know how this is going to happen? Verse 35, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby that will be born to you will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. You're going to give birth to the Messiah, the Holy One. Wow. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're saying, well, isn't that great? Jesus was born of the Spirit. Well, of course, He's the Messiah. Surprise, surprise. Luke already in chapter 1 has shown us that you don't have to be the Messiah to have the Spirit from the first moments of your life. Look at this. Go back to verse 13. Same angel, Gabriel. Old man named Zachariah. He's married to a woman named Elizabeth. They are aged. They have never had children. They will never have children. And Gabriel speaks, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for God has heard your prayer and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to name him John and you will have great joy and gladness and many will, will, will rejoice with you over his birth for now get this for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or hard liquor again. I suppose a person could pause and say that might be a good way. A good way to live in expectancy of the Holy Spirit's baptism. To never touch wine or hard liquor. Verse 15, For He will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or hard liquor. And now notice this. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before His birth. I want to talk to the young mothers-to-be who are here. I see a lot of them here. I want to talk to the young fathers-to-be. Maybe you just had a baby. Maybe your family is enlarging. I want to tell you something, Papa. Mama, good news. You don't have to wait for your child to grow up for, in order for that Holy Spirit to begin affecting the life of your child. If you're carrying a child in your womb right now, young mother, you can start praying the prayer of Elizabeth and the prayer of Mary. Oh, God, fill this child even before it is born with your spirit. Baptize him before he comes. It doesn't just happen to the Messiah. It happened to John, an ordinary human being just like you and me. Jot those two verses down. Luke is absolutely insistent that we understand. Luke 1, 28-35. Then jot the next one. Luke 1, 13-15. The story of the Holy Spirit is from the very inception of Jesus' journey. Let's go to the next one. Luke chapter 3. I tell you, Luke just goes after it over and over again. Now, John, both the babies are grown up. The little John boy and the little Jesus boy, they're all grown up. They're in their 30s now. Early 30s. 
John is baptizing. Let's go to Luke uh, 3, verse 15. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon. <clears throat> and they were eager to know whether John... Might you be the Messiah? They were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. And John answered their questions in verse 16 by saying, Hey, I baptize with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater than I am. I am not even worthy to be His slave. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Ladies and gentlemen, how many here, don't put your hand up, how many here have been baptized by water? Hands would go up all over this audience, this congregation today. How many here have been baptized by fire? By fire. The only example we have in the New Testament of both baptisms, water and spirit, occurring simultaneously is the, is the baptism of our Lord Jesus. So jot these verses down because the Spirit did come into Him at His baptism. Drop down here to verse 21, still Luke 3. One day... When the crowds were being baptized, Jesus Himself was baptized. As He was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in the form of a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are My beloved Son and I am fully pleased with you. Apparently, the Father is pleased even in the middle of a young adult's journey to now baptize Him. I mean, he's in his early 30s. I am fully pleased to baptize you in the Spirit. Baptized by water, baptized by Spirit. Oh, look, look at this. Luke, jot this one down too. Chapter 4, the very first verse in chapter 4. Luke 4, verses 1 and 2. Jot this one down. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, that's right after his baptism, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River... He was led by the Spirit to go out into the wilderness where the devil tempted him for 40 days and he ate nothing all that time and was very hungry. Ladies and gentlemen, mark it down. You can be full of the Spirit, but do not think that if you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, you will avoid the attack of the enemy. I want to tell you something. If you're serious about praying the prayer that we shall end today with and you pray that prayer, you can expect that the enemy of every human soul is going to come at you with all his guns blazing to take away that anointing. Don't be surprised. If, it, if they did it to the Messiah, will they not do it to the Messiah's followers? But of course. But the good news is that no matter how many vicissitudes and trials and temptations the demonic forces of hell throw in your pathway, you, just like Jesus, can remain unfallen and unscathed. Did Jesus fall? Did He fall? He did not fall. Come to Me. Learn from Me, He says. I'll give you rest. You'll have a quiet spirit. You won't live in fear of those demonic authorities. I... We'll give you rest. Yeah. Wow. Oh, and by the way, Luke's not quite through yet. Look at this. Verse 14. Put this down. Chapter 4, verse 14. Now, this is after the devil has gone after him. And Jesus has been victorious. This is verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Soon He became well known throughout the surrounding country. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Now he goes home. Now the passage we began with. He goes home in verse 16. In verse 17, they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. And in verse 18, when he finally finds the Hebrew, finds the Hebrew words he was rolling for, he speaks. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed... The actual Greek word there is krio, which means anointed. Krio, from whence comes the word Christos, Christ, the anointed one. The Spirit of the Lord has Christ me. He has Christ me. He has anointed me. To do what, Master? Messiah, to do what? Oh, for He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Did you catch that, folks? That, that is very significant, what we just read. Did you catch that? The Holy Spirit anoints a life and baptizes a man and a woman for a solitary reason. So that once you are anointed and baptized, the passion and mission of the Spirit, which was the passion and mission of Christ, will become the passion and mission of your life. The only reason human beings are baptized by the Spirit is so that we might be enabled to share the good news to a lost and dying world. In the middle of his life, Moody at last is baptized, and his life was never the same again. In the, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is baptized. He is never the same again. Paul, in the middle of his life, is baptized. He is never the same again. Eleven apostles, in the middle of their lives, baptized, never the same again. You know, some who feel that, well, you know what the Holy Spirit baptism is all about is I get these warm spiritual fuzzies and I just feel like everything's okay. That isn't the reason. It's always the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to anoint me that I might share the good news. No passion? Hey, no passion? No passion to share the good news with others? You know what? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that very loudly. I would, I would not. In fact, I wouldn't tell anybody. I mean, come on, do I? I mean, what, 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 frankly, no. I'm, I'm pretty busy this day. I, I'm getting an education now. Don't you understand? I'm giving an education around here. You see, I'm completing my, my, my career moves. I don't have time right now to be preoccupied with some sort of Pentecostal notion about being filled with the Spirit. I might get to it some other day. You know what, my friend? That's okay to feel that way if that's the way you wish. I just wouldn't say it to anybody. I wouldn't breathe it at all because the moment you say you have no passion for lost and dying human beings, you are teletyping to the whole world, I am not baptized by the Spirit. I am not anointed. See, so, so don't say it. Just don't say it. Keep it to yourself. There's no point. Because the truth is, where there is no passion for the lost, there is no anointing by the Lord. You say, man, Dwight, that's awfully harsh. You're right. It's a harsh reality. And I struggle with it just as much as you do. You and I may have once upon a time been baptized by the Spirit, but if we are not anointed now, you know, it is possible that we've forgotten all about it. I just forgot about needing it. I forgot about wanting it. I am not anointed. If we are not, if we are not anointed now, it is no wonder, Dwight. Lost fervor, lost passion, lost first love. The fire has gone out. And I'm just as guilty as you are. I want to tell you a story that happened to me just three, maybe four weeks ago. 
Chrissy and I, my daughter Chrissy, back in August, my mother called one night in tears. I think I've shared with you that my father has Alzheimer's. And his physical stamina and his mental acuity are rapidly deteriorating. In fact, my mom called on Thursday while I was writing this message. She called in tears and she said, Dwight, we're going to have to put Dad in a nursing home right away. Yesterday, I'm still working on this. My sister calls on the same cell phone and she's in tears. And she says, Dwight, I'm flying down. We have to put Dad. Mom can no longer carry this anymore. And I'm so glad now that we grabbed those tickets overnight back in August. And Chrissy and I flew out to have some, some, time, some, some time with Dad and with Mom. My mother did not know we were coming. And she had already purchased some tickets before Dad had begun to deteriorate more rapidly to an incredible outdoor experience that I had I'd heard about all my life, but I had never personally experienced myself. And it's called the Hollywood Bowl. In fact, let's put it up on the screen. And when mom heard that we were coming, she quickly grabbed two more tickets. The church were their members, Calamasa Church. Thirty of them every year get together and they go down here to the Hollywood Bowl. And I want to tell you, do you see that teacup turned sideways? That's the stage. And some of the world's great musicians are there. And they have a pyrotechnics, a, a fireworks with all bells and whistles like nothing you have ever seen in your life. And so Saturday night, we're down there in the Hollywood Bowl. And by the way, this is West Los Angeles. So the sea breeze, there's no smog. And straight over head is the Big Dipper. Big Dipper. It... Kind of got distracted on that Big Differ. <laughs> so, what is a Big Differ? Well, I differ with you. It really is called the Dipper. Now, put that back. I feel much comfortable with that on. Straight overhead. Come on, I don't want to get carried away with this because something happened. And here's where I'm going. But, but first, I want to set the scene up for you. Yeah, the Big Dipper is overhead. And uh, we, we grab one of the ushers going by because the place is packed. And we ask the usher, how many people are here in this outdoor bowl? 17,300 people. I mean, it's just, it's just phenomenal. Gloriously spectacular. So anyway, it's intermission now. And so we're all standing. And, and, and here's where we're going. I, I wanted a teaching moment with Chrissy, my 15-year-old daughter. So I said, Chrissy, look at these people. 17,000 Americans in this bowl. Chrissy, what, what if? What if we knew that every one of these 17,000 tonight did not know Jesus? What if? I mean, how could we know, Chrissy? How many of these people tonight, if they died, would go to a Christless grave? I want to impress on her the importance of carrying a burden for souls on your heart. Chrissy, what would we do if we knew? And I want to tell you something. She never lost a beat. She looked straight back into my face. And she said, Dad, if all these people are really going to be lost, then what are we doing 
living in a village filled only with Adventists. And I said, I don't want to lose this teaching moment. She's not supposed to be teaching me. I'm teaching her. I said, what can I say? What can I say? What can I say? And boy, I kept my calm. I looked right back in her face. I said, well, that's why we're working on television. To get into all 17,000 homes. She said, come on, Dad. She repeated herself. If you knew that these 17,000 were lost, why are we living in a little village filled with Adventists? Ladies and gentlemen, you may know the answer for you. You may know. I am still not sure what to say. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He has anointed me to share the good news. You see, ladies and gentlemen, before you can ever ask the how, how can I be anointed by the Spirit? You have got to know the why. He will only anoint you. He will only baptize you so that you might share the good news. That's the only reason. That is the only, only reason. Too many Christians have come to conceptualize the baptism of the Holy Spirit as some sort of warm spiritual fuzzy that will keep the heart singing zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day. My, oh my, what a wonderful day. Plenty of sunshine, thank you. Jesus, go in my way. Zippity-doo. That's what they think the Spirit is. Just make me feel good. It's not at all. It is be- it, in fact, it is because of that mistaken thinking that we fall into the Pentecostal trap and the charismatic confusion that desperately seeks a Holy Ghost anointing for the, for the sake of some sort of inner spiritual ecstasy or some outer public confirmation that indeed, hey, hey, I am filled with the Spirit. I want to tell you something. If the Spirit of the Messiah comes on you, you will be baptized for only one solitary reason, and that is to share with Him the good news to a lost and dying world. You will get no fuzzies. You won't speak in tongues. When He baptizes you, Jesus never spoke in tongues. When He baptizes you, the one who baptized the Messiah, it will be for the same reason the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and I have been anointed to share the good news. That's the truth. And so, ladies and gentlemen, there is no point in asking to be filled if you are not asking to be emptied. Somebody came up to Dwight L. Moody one day and said, Hey, Mr. Moody, are you filled with the Spirit? To which he replied, Yes, but I leak. (laughs) Very wise answer, Mr. Moody. I leak. The Spirit does not anoint you to fill you. The Spirit anoints you to empty you. To empty you over and over and over again. He wants you to leak. All over this campus. That doesn't sound quite right, but you know what I mean. <laughs> he wants you to leak all over your office building. He wants you to leak in your neighborhood. He wants to fill you so that you will leak with His passion for a lost and dying world. That's the only reason He'll baptize you. He will not baptize you to set your tongue loose in some unknown ecstatic language. He will baptize you to set your tongue into a holy boldness, Wesley, so that you can speak for Him 
in the midst of your fear, you can get out of the boat and walk on water because of raw faith in the Spirit of the Messiah. That's what He wants to do. And He can take an old man like you who's lived all his life waiting, waiting, waiting. He can take you, sir, right now and baptize you and anoint you. And you will be empty day in and day out for Him. By the way, Dr. Luke is trying to make that point in the book of Acts. Because he tells us in Acts chapter 2 that the friends of Jesus there at that Pentecostal moment are filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. Only two chapters later, they have leaked so much all over Jerusalem that two chapters later in Acts chapter 4 verse 31, they have to get filled all over again. Because one filling is not enough. Oh, Moody is right. Look at this classic of his, Secret Power, the secret of success in Christian life and work. Look at these words on the screen. The fact is, we are leaky vessels. And we have to keep right under the fountain all the time to keep full of Christ and so have a fresh supply. I believe, Mr. Moody writes, this is a mistake a great many of us are making. We are trying to do God's Word work with the grace God gave us ten years ago. Some of you are trying to operate on a ten-year-old fire that isn't even a spark anymore. It's time to be rebaptized with fire. Some of you have leaked for so many years and have never been refilled that you are bone dry today. You come and sit in worship and you're even not sure what's happening in worship. I mean, you know, my heart isn't that stirred up. That isn't that great. You're dry. You need a Holy Ghost anointing. By the way, by the way, it was that way with our mentor, this is classic. Take a look at this. Christ's object lessons. Let's put it on the screen. Speaking of Jesus, Christ was continually receiving from the Father that He might communicate to us, not for Himself, but for others. He lived and thought and prayed. From hours spent with God, He came forth morning after morning to bring the light of heaven to men and women. And now, lock this into your brain. Daily, He received a what? Come on. What did, daily, what did He receive? A fresh baptism of the Spirit. Every day, the Messiah was rebaptized by the Spirit. Don't you give me this. I had it long ago, and I shall run on that steam. My friend, you aren't running on steam. You're running on gas. Daily, daily he received a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. We read it at the beginning. Jesus went about doing good and delivering those who were oppressed by the devil. He constantly, constantly gave. Daily, he received a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you now, don't you long for the anointing of the Holy Ghost? Don't you? Don't you? You can have it. If it was good for the mentor, it's good for you. You say, how, Dwight? How, how? Okay, we'll, we'll end with this. This is the how now. First, we had to have the why. Now's the how. Luke is not going to leave us hanging. No way. I want to end with a story that Jesus told. This is a dynamite. Go to Luke chapter 11. We'll end with this. Luke 11. How? This is one of the greatest raw faith 
promises that you can claim for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. By the way, jot this down. You've been writing a whole bunch of texts down. Make sure you have Luke 11, 5 through 13. Write those words down. Luke 11, 5 through 13. How can it happen, Dwight? I want this. Man, Moody had it. The Messiah had it. Paul had it. All the disciples had it. Stephen had it. And by the way, Stephen was baptized by the Spirit. We have no ecstatic, we have no ecstatic evidence that there was some sort of Damascus Road experience with Stephen. It just quietly came. There wasn't even a thundering voice when he was baptized. Stephen, one of the greatest Christians, the first martyr, was baptized by the Spirit. We have no story how it happened. It just happened. Don't worry about how. Just ask, ask. That it might come upon you. Okay, this is Luke chapter 11. In, in verse 1 of chapter 11, the disciples have come to Jesus and they said, Oh, Jesus, we just overheard you praying. Man, oh man, you pray so gloriously. Please teach us how to pray like you. Jesus said, Okay, I've been mentoring and you've been watching me pray. I want to give you a sample prayer. In fact, this prayer summarizes all prayers. And so in the first uh, four verses, it's the Lord's Prayer. You know it, so we'll go on to verse 5. Now, he's still talking about prayer. Then, verse 5, teaching them more about prayer, Jesus used this illustration. I love it. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. See, somebody's come unexpectedly to your home. You have no food. So you go to the friend's house to borrow three. You would say to him, verse 6, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing to eat. You know, this, is, this says this happens at midnight. By the way, if you want to do this at midnight in my neighborhood, I wish you would go next door to the Brantleys. They live on this side of me. The Bascoms live on this side. Knock on their doors. Don't come to my house at midnight. Who wants to get awakened at one in the morning? Huh? That's Jesus' point. But you have to have bread. you got a hungry friend. You have no bread with which to give him. So you go to that house and you pound and you pound and you pound until that guy wakes up inside. How do you think the guy feels? Well, Jesus... Won't keep us in suspense here. He would call out, verse 7, he would call out from his bedroom. And by the way, when the bedroom is the living room and the kitchen, you're right there by the front door. And he would call out from his bedroom, Don't bother me! The door is locked for the night. And that's true. In Palestine, they put the shoom, shoom, shoom to make sure that those, those locks are there. Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and we are all in bed. And by the way, that is a big deal because in Palestine, they're all sleeping on the floor. So I would have to walk over everybody in my family without, you know, just don't bother me. The door is locked. We're all in bed. Can't you see? And we, I cannot help you this time. And Jesus goes on. But I tell you this. Though he won't do it as a friend, if you keep knocking long enough, and folks, let's just put this in the metaphor that we understand. Let's put it as a doorbell. If you just keep ding dong, 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 the guy knows I am not going to sleep tonight till I get rid of this guy. Ding dong, ding dong. All right, all right, all right already. What did you want it? See? You could get him. That doorbell will get him every time. Jesus says here in verse 8, But I tell you this, though he won't do it as a friend, if you keep ringing that doorbell long enough, he will get up and give you what you want so his reputation won't be damaged. That old crud. Now Jesus says, I'm making a point. And here it comes. Ah, oh, this, this is Dynamite. Here it comes. And so I tell you, verse 9, I love this in the New Living, keep on asking. 
Keep on, ding dong, ding dong, ding. Keep on asking and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened for everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and the door is open to everyone who rings heaven's doorbell. Ding dong! Ding dong! Keep on knocking. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, here comes the punchline that we must never forget. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Wow. Just ask. There's no, there's no trick. There is no maze. There is no course. You just ask in raw faith. You ask, give me, give me the same Spirit that anointed Jesus, I pray. Give me, give me. How much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to ask. It is time to ask. Not ask to get, please. Ask to give. God delights to give. He's full of compassion. This is Christ's object lessons. He's full of compassion. He longs to grant the requests of those who come unto Him in faith. He gives to us that we may minister to others and thus become just like Him. I want you to be like me. Just, just keep emptying yourself. We are to ask. Listen, I'll just tell you right now, we're going to go to our knees next and we're going to ask. But if you're asking just to get, don't even bother asking. Seriously, don't bother. We are to ask that we may give. The capacity for receiving is preserved only by imparting. We cannot continue to receive the heavenly treasure of the Holy Spirit without communicating to those around us. You must ask not to get, but to give. So, plead for the Holy Spirit. Does that sound fairly intense for a Gen X uh, generation? You know, we like things intense, don't we? Plead. Plead for the Holy Spirit. Ding dong. Ding dong. Ding dong! Plead. Plead for the Holy Spirit. God stands back of every promise He has made. And oh, I love this last line. Those who beg at midnight for loaves to feed the hungry souls will be successful. You will never go home. If you're wanting to get in order to give, you will never go home empty-handed. Ever, ever, ever. A lost and starving world will be fed from your little palm because you went to the Father and you said, give me that spirit that I might give to the world. I'm telling you what, ladies and gentlemen, what do you say? Hallelujah. What can you say? It's time that we ask. Now listen, you don't have to ask right now. We're all going to go to our knees, but you can recite the cities in Michigan in your mind. Don't ask. 
Because either you're going to ask right now or you're not going to ask. The choice is yours. There's no third. Well, I think I will half-ask. You can't half-ask. You're going to ask or you're not going to ask. Now, look at, look at. Just before we go to our knees, you're going to ask the Holy Spirit to do something in your life. We began last Wednesday night up here in the early teen lot. Over 200 people, 225 people crowded into that early teen lot. We began a new seminar called How to Pray with Raw Faith. Somebody there, we're going to have it right down here. And if you missed last time, you come here Wednesday night, 8 o'clock, right after House of Prayer. But, you know, we're sharing a book by S.D. Gordon and he makes this point. Then we'll go to our knees. He says, you know what? He says, you have a choice when it comes to the Holy Spirit. You can ask Him to be guest or you can ask Him to be host. Now, when I come to your house for Sabbath dinner, and I'm looking forward to that someday, when I come to your house for Sabbath dinner, I'm the guest. You can say, Dwight, sit here. Dwight, pick up that fork. Put it down. Dwight, eat the dessert. Dwight, get up from that chair. Go to the living room where it's more comfortable. You can say anything you wish. And you know what? As your guest, yep, okay, yep, okay, fine, okay. Because I'm a guest. But when I'm host, you don't tell me. You don't tell me where to sit. When I'm the host, you don't tell me what to feed you either. Because I'm the host. And I will give you what I believe you need. You can invite the Holy Spirit to be a guest. Yeah, Holy Spirit, I'm going to need you because next Wednesday I've got a really jammed schedule. Stay in that back room until I call for you next Wednesday, okay? As a guest, he said, okay, I'll, I'll wait. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to be a guest. He wants to be a host. He says, let me into your life. Let me baptize you with my power so that I call the shots. I say, speak and you speak. I say, pray and you pray. I say, witness and you witness. I say, stop and you stop. Let me be the host. Your body is my temple. Let me be the host of that temple, please. That's the difference. You can say, Holy Spirit, be guest. I'll get to you when I need you. Or you can say, Holy Spirit, when we go to our knees right now, my Lord, I ask you to become host in this life. Baptize me. Baptize me. You don't have to pray now. Just keep your mind silent. You don't have to ask. I really hope and pray that you will ask as we kneel now together. And I'm not going to pray for you right now. You pray all alone. Father, do you hear the doorbell ringing? It's your children. We're down here 
way down here. We can reach that doorbell. And so, oh God, we, we are pushing right now. Dear Father, we're not asking to get. We are asking to give. Please. The passion and mission of the Messiah, our mentor, please. We want it. We humbly ask that the anointing of the very same Spirit that baptized Jesus might come upon us. O oh, Father, not guest, please, please, not this time. He's been a guest for so long. Dear Father, this time for this campus and these hearts may he become host right here in us and oh God if he becomes host and he points to a room in our mind that has been shut off from Him and You. Holy Father, grant us the raw faith to go ahead and empty that room that He might have all of our temple for Himself. Holy Father, if there's something in that corner that we've thrown a pillow over because... We don't want to let go of it. Oh God, may the Messiah whose blood was shed to break the hold of darkness upon our hearts, may the Messiah grant us victory today. And if He says, we take it out, then again, dear God, raw faith, courage, to obey what the host has asked. Father, we're not inviting an enemy in. We are inviting the dearest friend in all the universe to come in and to lead us into what is best and best and best. And so, we have prayed. Have at it, dear God. In the name of our Messiah and our Lord and our Savior, let all the people say, Amen and Amen.